0: Hello, you're listening to Sean from Galactic Chat and today I'm interviewing fellow chatter Dave MacDonald. Welcome to our own podcast, David.
1: How are you doing, Sean?
0: I'm doing great. How about yourself?
1: Well, it's a bit different being on the other end. I guess I'm going to have to do some talking today.
0: All right, so I'll launch straight into it. One of the great things, obviously, about interviewing for a podcast is is that it gives you an excuse, maybe even some courage, to interview your favourite authors. One drawback, however, is that you're often stuck in the position of always talking about somebody else's work. So, really, today I wanted to delve into some of the work you've been doing, and you have been doing quite a bit. And, of course, the big news is your novelisation of the horror film Backcountry. Can you tell uh, our listeners a bit about the film and how it felt novelising a story already in existence?
1: Well, um, Backcountry is a Canadian film, uh, and I guess you'd say it's probably um, a smaller studio. Um, so originally it was released to mainly to film festivals, but um, it got some really good reviews, so it got a cinema release in the States as well. haven't had any news about whether it's coming to Australia, but basically I guess you'd, you'd call it survival horror. It's about a couple who go camping in the woods and... Uh, well, tangle with a, some of the wildlife. I guess it's kind of like jaws, but with bears instead of sharks. Because <laughs> sharks wouldn't do too well in the woods, I don't think. No. <laughs> So it was a it was a really interesting experience for me novelising the movie. It was the first time I'd done something like that, and I've been I've been doing a little bit of tie-in work or shared universe work for a while now, and been trying to get into to doing some novelisations or working with existing franchises. And uh, I guess this came up because a couple of other people who might have done it weren't available, and um, it was a pretty tight time frame. Uh, which made it interesting but i guess the big difference is that novelizations and things like that are work for hire so you don't actually own the copyright or anything like that you you're given a brief by whoever owns the property and uh, there they are they tell you what they want and you basically you deliver that as a as a product so that that, that doesn't mean it's not writing because you're still you know you still got to put it on the page and you've still got to make it the best you can make it, but it's a little bit different than an original work. So um, for the original first draft, I had a very short time frame and um, I ended up writing 75,000 words in 15 days, which nearly killed me. um, <laughs> but, um imagine, yeah. Oh. So what happened was they gave me a copy of the scripts and a, co- a copy of the movie and um, I watched the movie and um, I couldn't watch the movie again because it was too scary. Uh, so, so I watched it once, and then um, basically what I did was I wrote out the script into a novel and then went, now I've got to add stuff to it. Um, and then after that, I sent it back off to them. And um, this is one of the things with with, a, with time work, is that they basically said, look, there's some stuff we want to change, and I just needed to go with what their their desires were with it because it was their their property. So there was probably less freedom in that way, but it was it was quite liberating knowing exactly what I needed to write and and having a plot already there and and just being able to write. So it was it was a really interesting experience. Um, certainly, a lot of words in a in a short amount of time, but just getting to see how. That, that particular facet of the writing industry works was really valuable for me and getting to work with um, some really good editors in, in that field was, was, was exciting as well.
0: In terms of, um, you know, it's work for hire, so that that sort of means that you actually get paid <laughs> for doing the work. Then there, whether or not the book sells particularly well
1: or...? Yeah, it's, um, it depends on the deal that you, you get, but um, most of the time it's a flat fee. Um, so they pay you – it's not really in advance. They're paying you a fee to deliver a particular product. And once you have delivered that, then, then you get paid for it. Uh, now, the deal that I got was also for royalties, but it was not, not the same as what you get writing your own book in terms of royalties. But the, the flat fee was, was probably the, the attraction because you know exactly what money you're going to get for it and what you need to do to achieve the target. Um, I know it sounds very business-like, but it, it is really a business. So, but fortunately, it still has room for for self-expression as well, because you're still getting to create backstories for the characters that you don't necessarily see on the screen, getting to fill out motivations that you know, because you get inside their head as opposed to what what you see on the screen. So, it was a very interesting experience.
0: Yeah, I don't I don't mind sort of looking at it from the business point of view. That means you know, you, you if you're going to do seventy five thousand words in 15 days and get money. You know, a flat fee at the end of it. I um, think that sounds great, personally.
1: <laughs> well, one thing to remember though is that 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 initial burst of writing that was for the first draft. So there was changes afterwards. Um, so really, it was very set time frames of when they wanted stuff back and and um, and that sort of thing. So it's very much uh, target target based, I guess, where you know exactly what you have to deliver uh, and when you need to deliver it and um, And I mean, really, you don't have any sort of option about, you know, negotiation because it's, they know, they've told you what they want and that's what you need to do.
0: Oh, that that sounds uh, really interesting. And I'm wondering if this is,
1: hopefully,
0: once you've got a bit of work in this area that you, that it's... Then perhaps a stepping stone to you know, other other franchises or other properties like Star Wars or potentially Star Trek. Um, is is that where you'd eventually like to go
1: with this sort of tie-in writing? Uh, not not those particular properties, but definitely yes. It's um, it's something I enjoy doing, and uh, I, I think for a long time tie-in writing was was looked down upon as not real writing. But you look at some of the people who are doing it. Um, I mean, not just. You know, some of our Australian talent, like Sean Williams and and Karen Miller, have have carved out a big niche. But even people who were traditionally considered more literary writers, I guess, um, like Michael Moorcock has done a Doctor Who novel, um, and so has Alistair Reynolds. Mm. Uh, So it's, I think... um, because of the quality that people um, who have been working in times for a long time, like Sean and, and like um, Karen and, and people, you know, going back, people like Alan Dean Foster and all those sort of people who have worked in that time field, that people have seen it's actually it's actually not something to be looked down upon. It takes its own skill set um, and you can produce quality works even within the framework of someone else's universe. So I'm, I'm really keen to keep working and I can't talk about them until they're ready to go, but I'm working on some other um, tie in, tie in pieces, but it's really, you know, work, I guess what work is out there, you know, you you pitch for it, um, you build up a reputation, uh, and hopefully you just keep getting more work. And the properties that I'm working on are ones that I've always wanted to work on. That you know, I grew up as a fan of, and it's an exciting thing to get to play in that universe.
0: Now I'm just uh, so excited. I'm, I'm yeah. hearing you talk about stuff that you can't talk about. Well, the the reason
1: why I'm not talking about it is because until you've signed on the dotted line, you know, nothing's definite. I mean, it's the same with anything in publishing, I guess, is that I've always tried not to announce story sales until I've signed a contract, and I've tried not to, you know, even when I get to the the final round of an anthology call, I don't like, I I, I might be superstitious, but I I sort of don't like talking about stuff until it's it's a definite. But with Backcountry, it nearly killed me, you know, not being able to talk about it <laughs> because I knew I knew about it, you know, a couple of months before I was able to announce it on social media and one of the conditions is that, you know, the, the publisher, which was HarperCollins, got to control the release of um, the information about it, which is entirely fair enough, but, you know, I was sort of bursting at the seams wanting to tell people about it because it was a big deal for me.
0: No, 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 no it's good. And uh, fully understand that you can't talk about it uh these interesting properties that now I'm sort of scratching my head over to what they might be. But uh, we'll we'll move along. Um, good, <laughs> because I'm probably going to blab if you don't move on. So that might be good. <laughs> All right. Okay, then. Uh, so in addition, obviously, to fielding interviews for Galactic Chat, uh, uh, you do your own work on your own blog, and you've been running a guest post series called Paying for Our Passion. Could you explain the concept for those who haven't popped over to you? Blog and they should after this podcast. What was the catalyst or or inspiration for the series?
1: I guess one of the thing one of the problems for writers is, um, and I think it's something we're conditioned not to talk about money. Uh, And I think often when you when you first start writing, you have this unrealistic expectation that you're going to be, you know, you end up with your private jet flying to conventions and all that sort of stuff, uh, because we really the only money things we hear about in success stories like J.K. Rowling got $10 million or Stephen King just got 20 or whatever it is. Um, but the reality is, you know, that often money is not that abundant in the publishing industry. And I've always admired people like uh, Jim Hines and Cameron Hurley. Uh, I think Larry Correa as well do sort of posts about where they talk about some of the financial aspects of their writing where and they give you a more realistic idea um, of, of how much of how much money they actually make from writing and how they, how they subsidise that. So a while back, um, I'm just looking at the article now, On the um, in January, uh, someone on salon.com posted an article called Sponsored by My Husband, Why It's a Problem That Writers Never Talk About Where Their Money Comes From. And um, it was a great article by a lady called Anne Bauer, and she was talking about how she writes, but she's only able to do so because her husband's income is enough to cover the, the shortfall that you know she has from the money she makes as a writer, and I saw this popping up. There's some articles where um, they go a little bit viral in writing circles, and you see them popping up on your, your Twitter feed and on Facebook and being shared in multiple ways. I was going to say Google Plus, but you know who checks Google Plus? <laughs> um, they do. They do pop up all over the place, and I realized that this had touched on a bit of a, um, a chord in in, in in writing circles that people, you know do think about this, you know, how do I measure whether I'm actually achieving, you know, is is the fact that I'm not making a living writing, does that make me a failure? How do I know when I'm making it sort of thing? And I found it really interesting. So I decided that it would be int- interesting to ask a number of writers to... Uh, to share, if they were willing to, about the financial side of their their writing. You know, do they write? Do they write full time? Is their writing subsidised by their day job? Um, are they in a position where they don't have to work? Um, what are the challenges about being a writer? So I put out a call on Facebook, and I was I was pretty happy with the response, and that's just continued. You know, people uh, as I've finished with each list of people who have put their their hands up, other people have said, yeah, yeah, I want to I want to share that, and I've had some. Frankly, I've been humbled by by some of the posts that people have shared. Like people have been very personal. They've been very open about their their issues they have as, as writers, about their doubts and their fears, about their writing and their finances. And um, some of the stories have been, yeah, incredible. And um, so I'm going to keep running it as long as people are willing to keep keep sharing because it really, I think it really has um, opened up a bit of a a dialogue about you know, finances and writing, like we do. And um, with all this, I don't want to sound mercenary because I I, I write because I love to write. But the reality Mm -hmm. is if you want to make a living from writing, you need to make a living from writing. And, you know, I think Mm -hmm. a lot of us, when we don't make a living from writing, wonder, are we doing something wrong? Because we read all the success stories. Well, it's good to see some of the challenges as well.
0: Uh, You've got... um I think it's 20 guest posts. I think you just had one go up the, yesterday or the day before. And I wondered, out of those, are there any, I don't know, commonalities or have any writing myths or fantasies been, been shattered?
1: I wouldn't say shattered, but it certainly um, illuminated the point that there aren't a great deal of people, uh, in, in the circles I move anyway, who make their living 100% from writing fiction a lot of people subsidise that income with, you know, uh, other writing work, you know, like copywriting or or freelance work. It also showed that a lot of people have the same doubts that I do, you know, that, that, you know, is this the most effective use of my time? Is it fair to my family? Um, And all all that sort of thing. And that I guess the majority of writers have, have a similar experience, But I guess the biggest thing I've taken from it is that, and I'm going to have to write my own post, which is a bit scary, uh, is that I, like every writer, um, I struggle to find the time and I struggle to find the money to do the things that I want to do as a writer. But when you read some of the stories, um, you see that what it comes down to is if you want to be a writer, then you find a way. There are some people who have put up with some pretty tough circumstances and kept writing. And for some of them, you know, that writing is an escape from the tough circumstances. But still, that I guess the big gap between aspiring writers and writers is that writers write. And there's not this excuse about, I don't have enough time or, you know, I've got other stuff going on or whatever, that somehow people who... I guess, have that longevity as writers have found a way to, to make it happen. And I know I know when Chuck Wendig posted something about that on Twitter, people were saying, well, that's easy for him to say. And I know it's easy for me to say. I've got a lot of privilege. Um, but the reality is that eventually, if you want to be a writer, you've got to write. And... Um, that's the big thing I've taken from all these stories, that people have found a way to make it work, whether it's living on a single income or whether it's cutting back on their expenses or whether it's giving up other things they want to do. Yeah, it's it's um, it's been an education for me and it's really shown me that a lot of the reasons why, a lot of the excuses that I've made for not writing as much are really just excuses. And it's been a bit of a wake-up call for me. I mean, I don't want to single anyone out, but I think probably the most the biggest post I had was by Maureen Flynn, Um, and hers went, you know, socially viral. You know, it was it got reblogged at places and stuff like that. And when you look at what she's had to do, but she still continues to write, um, I can I'm, I'm just full of admiration for her. But it also is a wake up call to me that, you know, if she can do it, then I can do it. You know.
0: Yeah, no, and it, I suppose in, in some ways writing's still when you look at it the to be able to write, you all you need's a piece of paper and a pencil, yeah. Initially, you know. So it's still fairly fairly easy to get in. I'm just thinking in terms of um you know, if you're if you're producing art, um, you know, you, you sort of gotta have three or four hundred dollars to your name just to get materials together, but a pencil and a piece of paper is, is all you need and uh, papers all around us, right on the back of napkins or or and whatever, anything.
1: And the other thing that came out of it is really that the, most of the right, well, I'd say that 100% of the writers I know would still write, even if they don't make any money out of it. That They're that passionate about writing and it's that big a deal, it's that big a part of them that they'd write anyway. And that's, mm-hmm. you know... So it's 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 been a it's been an incredible uh, and as I said I feel humbled by the fact that people have been willing to let me post these stories and there's still more coming and um you know it's really it's it's I, I don't want to use the word lightly, but it's been a privilege to, to be able to host them.
0: Okay, well we'll uh for sure we'll put a, a link in the show notes. Can can we link to the entire set of with, uh,
1: yeah, there is posts. a there is a, a the first post that sets up the thing has a link to all the individual posts and there's also a tag so um, I can we can put those up on the website and if people are interested um, and if they want to participate um, you know I've had people message me and say oh look I'd like to participate but I don't you know I don't feel that I'm at that point but the thing is that I'm interested in hearing from all sorts of different people about their experiences so.
0: All right, well, you've heard him, listeners. Get writing, no matter what, uh, what skill level you're at or where you think you're at. But uh, we'll move on now. You did answer, I think, or skirted around the answer for this. Uh, you, a film novelisation is a branching out from your usual short fiction. And I just wondered, um, did you have a writing plan or do you have a writing plan, a rough goal? Has anything really changed in the way you approach writing after having that opportunity?
1: Well, I'll, I'll go backwards here and say that my approach has changed a bit. Um, I use a program called Scrivener to to do a lot of my writing in. Uh, it's um, it's quite well known in, in writing circles, I guess. Mm. And I um, also use Dropbox. And uh, what I did was when I started, when I knew I had to get this big target of, of words, um, it, it allows you to set like how many words you need to write per day to achieve it by a certain date. So I started doing that which meant I was writing every day and um it was big totals it was like I think I had to do 4 or 5000 words a day or something like that but as part of that I started tracking my word count every day in a in a spreadsheet um, and since since I I did the uh the, the started the novelization um I've written every day um, even if it's not a huge amount of words, even if they're not great words, I've tried to, to write every day. And that's made it... I, I feel that that's made a really big difference to, to how my writing's going. Um, last year, I had a pretty lean year. I sold a few stories, but I only had one original story published. So this year, I'm already up to, I think, five five short stories and, and the novelisation. And the reality is that you've got to get words down on the page. Um, if they're not great words, you can always... Go back and edit them, but the key is to to actually have them have them on the page. So since I've started doing that, since I've started writing every day, um, then yeah, it's it's made a made a big difference. So I'm, I'm just trying to work out if I can tell you how many words, how many days it's been. But um, so I started on the 20th, 29th of November was when I started writing this novelisation, and since then I, I've written every day. And some days have been tougher than others. Some days you don't feel like Writing Um, when I've been at conventions, sometimes I've maybe not been in the fit state to be writing. Um, But I've tried to. (laughs) I've tried to write. That's because
0: that's because of the tiredness we're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Nothing else. That's
1: right. Conventions are very, very sapping of your energy. Um, (laughs) So yeah, I've written. I've written every day, and um, I have to be honest and say that sometimes what I count as a day is until I go to bed. So um, I might have written at two a.m. in the morning or whatever, but I still count it as. The previous day, but every day I've um, I've managed to write. So that was a big change, I guess, out of the the novelisation. It proved to me one that I could write a lot of words, and two it got me in the habit of writing, and and um, yeah, I, I found that really useful for my writing. So, so that was a I guess that was the the change in the way I go about my writing. Um, but in terms of a writing plan, well. I, my writing plan has always been um, to keep writing short fiction because I, I believe that short fiction is, is where you can experiment um, and you can learn different skills and different types of writing. I mean, if you write a, a novel that's, um, you know, 95,000 words or whatever and it goes wrong, that's a lot of words to throw out. But if you're writing a short story, well, you have a bit more freedom to play around and you can try a different point of view, different tenses. Um, different styles of writing, like I think I've written science fiction and fantasy and dark fantasy and horror. And, and I think I, I even wrote a, a Lone Ranger story, which I guess is what you call a, a Western. So it just gives you a chance to, to play around. So my goal's always been to keep writing short stories and to keep working my way up the markets. Um, so at the moment, I'm stuck sort of at a, a semi-pro level. I'm still trying to crack that pro-level short story markets. Can't talk about one, but um, hopefully I'll... Be able to announce something about that soon, but anyway, it's um, it's just you know working my way up. But while I'm doing that, I'm also trying to continue to get more time work. Um, I'm continuing to try and do more freelance work um, in terms of non-fiction stuff, and I'm also trying to get my own original novel out there. So, at the moment, I'm working on a, a YA collaboration with an American writer. Um, again, I'll announce more details when it's you know. At a a more mature stage but enjoying doing that and I have my own novel that I'm working on as well so I I do have a definite plan of what I want to keep doing but it's slowly but surely Um, I mean I still see myself very much at the beginning of the the writing journey um, but I do have definite goals and none of them are none of them you know the thing is that one sale or one rejection doesn't Say whether you're a good writer or not, because sometimes rejections are because your story was the same as another one that got accepted or because it didn't fit the anthology or it might not be because it' be because it was no good and it's the same with awards sometimes awards um you know um, may not be the be or doesn't mean you've arrived but all these all these things are just little tick boxes on the way, so I can just say, yeah, I'm making slow but sure progress um so it's been nice to 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 have little little markers on the way like um you know it it's good to you know when you get a contributor's copy come in the door because it's a tangible way of saying yeah I'm 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 getting something done
0: and I suppose what from from me listening to your talk there is that um you you have several things on the go, so there's there's no no excuse there for you to say to yourself, well, oh, I haven't got an idea right now, but because essentially you you sit down to write words and you've got you know five or six different things that you could you could be working on. So yeah,
1: I'm going to say something controversial here: is I don't believe, I don't I don't believe that writer's block exists. Um, there's always reasons not writing's like exercise. There's always reasons not to do it. Um, mm. And I don't particularly like doing it, the actual doing it, but the result is, is, you know, you feel good about having done it. But if I sit down and um, one story is not flowing particularly well, yeah, I'll jump to another project, um, or I'll write something else. But I think there's, a, you can always write something. I've never sat down and just gone, I, I, I can't write. I've gone, I feel too lazy to write. <laughs> but that's, that's a different thing.
0: All uh, right. All right. Well, we might have to do a follow-up uh, interview where where you discover writer's block. <laughs> Just joking. Uh, all right. So, sort of moving on into um, uh, sort of the participation in community, because uh, that's where I think we we first met. Yeah, it was at uh, Continuum. That met in person. That is. Um, so, aside from your involvement in this podcast and your participation. In the community as a writer, you've also been heavily involved in convention organising and not just in your home state. And I wondered what what attracts you to the convention scene? And as a follow-up question to that, what what are the costs and benefits for you
1: as a writer? Well, I I guess I want to start by saying that there's lots of people who do lots more at conventions than I do. Um, I mean, I try and be useful and helpful when I can, but um, there's certainly people who work very, very hard and... um, You know, I've been involved, but I wouldn't say I'm as heavily involved as a a lot of people who keep these things running. I guess for me, growing up in a country town and going to a country church, volunteer culture was really strong um, because there was only a limited number of people to do what had to be done. And if you didn't do it, it just meant someone else had to do it. The things had to be done. So I really got used to you go to an event and... You would just say, okay, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to pack up? Do you want me to vacuum? Or do you want me to do whatever? And that sort of bled into to other areas of my life where I'm a unfortunately I'm a serial volunteer. For me, conventions are so important because that's when I first got involved. Um, I went to AussieCon, but I really just went um, to hang out with friends. wasn't involved in the scene at all, whether, as a writer or as a fan. I guess my first convention where I was I guess actively, you know, I'd submitted stories and I was trying to get published and all that sort of stuff was uh, SwanCon when it was the NatCon. Um, what year was that? Maybe 2010, I think. So it was a great con, had a great time. Um, Melissa um, organised that and um, did a, a wonderful job. And I was very fortunate that um, Amanda Rainey and Laura Gooden um, both introduced me to a lot of people and I met some people there who were... And, and that that was really where I started to make connections, to meet people and, and some of the people who are my really good friends now, that's where I met them. At each convention I've met new people and um, expanded my, my circles I guess. Um, I'm not particularly a person who is comfortable breaking into new social circles, I, I actually quite struggle with social interaction but I was made to feel so welcome that you know I really enjoyed it and When you see something like that, when you get so much out of it, you want to put back in, and that's what I've tried to do, um, you know, to to whatever extent I can. Um, And I have to admit, there's a bit of, you know, I'm a bit of a geek, so one of the things that I've done for a couple of cons now is I've set up the online program because I wanted there to be an online program that I could access.
0: Um,
1: You know, so it's really, it comes down to that if if you get something out of something, then you should be trying to put back, because... It's not really fair for the same group of people to do everything and to keep keep doing that. I mean, in terms of the the benefits for me as a writer, I guess it's the meeting new people and and people who have the same interests and the same struggles as you do. Um, there is a bit of networking, I guess. So my opinion with networking is that if you ever try to get to know people just because of what they can do for you. One, that's a pretty shallow way to live, but I think people can mm. also detect that. So my thing's always been that I go to cons and the people who I who I have something in common with I want to be friends with, then you spend time with them. If either of you get something out of that, that's great, but really what it comes down to is is about friendship. And I've been very fortunate that I've met a lot of really good people who have been very kind to me and and very patient with me and you know, so I've got a lot of benefit out of conventions. Um, in terms of the costs, well, I guess obviously, tra- conventions cost money to go to, um, especially the interstate ones because you've got to travel. It's time away from you know your your, your personal life, where you know, instead of going away on a holiday with your family, you're going away to a convention. In terms of time, um, you know, especially if you, I guess, volunteering to help with stuff, that's time away from actually enjoying the convention. Um, but certainly for me, the benefits of, of going to cons and being involved with the doing what I can to help have certainly outweighed the costs hugely. Yeah, I was
0: I was just a couple of things that you you mentioned there have, uh, have prompted this question. I was thinking there you, you talked about volunteer culture, and um, we've got similar backgrounds, and I think we've probably got similar approaches. But um, oh, I was just wondering, how do you Go about handling or preventing burnout. I think most speculative fiction scenes are small and uh, or most writing scenes are small and it's often the same folks that muck in. And um, on top of that, um, personally for me, I find there's a lot of pressure to be continually connected um, on you know, Facebook or, or Twitter. So I wanted to know, how do you personally handle the issue of burnout, whether it's writing or promoting or volunteering in the scene?
1: Well, I think... Considering how honest that people have been on on my blog about some of their stuff, I probably need to be equally as honest here. I don't. I haven't handled burnout well in the past. Um, last year, sort of mid to late last year, I really, um, because of a combination of, of of work issues and and some health issues and stuff like that, I really dropped the ball. Um, was trying to do too much, trying to volunteer for too much, and um, ended up. Flaking out on a few deadlines and letting some people down. Who I'm still trying to, I guess, uh, deal with that now. Um, and I had to make the decision about. Um, uh, at the time, I was, you know, obviously had a day job, um, was trying to be a writer, was trying to do some fan stuff, um, was running a cricket club, was running a cricket association. Um, yeah, so basically, I, 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 as I said, I. I I flaked down on a number of things and had to make the decision about prioritizing I guess um, and pulling back on some stuff and setting more realistic boundaries about what I was capable of doing and I guess it's it's a tightrope that we walk that everyone walks you know whether they're writers or, or whatever that there's only so many things you can do with in your life and you've got to you got to find a balance Um So, yeah, I mean, it wasn't a particularly fun time, but it certainly wasn't, you know, anything worse than a lot of other people have gone through. I mean, even looking at my blog series, I mean, it was pretty mild compared to some of the stuff other people have gone through. So it was a learning experience for me where i tried to stop myself from getting quite as as, uh, involved. Um, The problem is, as I said, I'm a serial volunteer and I suck at saying no.
0: Yeah, I'll put my hand up for that as well.
1: Yeah. But I mean, you've just got to find that. I mean, you can't withdraw completely. Um, but I've I've just tried to to be more balanced, and because if you take on too many things, you don't do any of them properly. So mm. it doesn't help anybody. And um, as I said, I let a few people down that I'm I still feel bad about.
0: Another thing you you, you mentioned there, coming from a small country town and from a, a small country. Oh. Presumably a small country church, and um, I was just thinking back to the uh, the first panel that I think I saw you. I'm just trying to think of the other panelists. I'm pretty sure Ian Mond was on it, and and we had also a, a a religious minister, and it was talking about religion in science fiction. And I just wanted to know, in terms of community, I mean, I I personally find the science fiction community fairly welcoming, but um, I know you to be. Religious so though not, not overtly so And I'm just wondering how you find that uh, how's, How that's perceived uh, When you go to conventions Or even when you're not at conventions
1: Look, I think because of the The nature of, of, of fandom Is that people are very distrustful Of unquestioning obedience to anything uh, Whether it's religion or not I think there's definitely a real Secular humanist undercurrent To, to Specfic scene um, Which you know is born of that that desire to to question um, which is a healthy thing um, as I said I've been made to feel very welcome um, in 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 the specfic scene and probably when I first came on the scene I was probably um, I was very open about my my religious beliefs and i was the first panel I was ever on was a was a similar sort of thing religion in specfic, but it was more about how do you create convincing religions so I've never I've never had any real pushback, you know, about that. But there is there is no doubt that um, people can be quite distrustful of religion in, in specific circles, and for I have to be honest and say, for justifiable reasons, probably probably more of where you get it is that um, you know on social media you see a bit of negativity um, because of all, say for example, all Christians being lumped in with the fundamentalists in America and that sort of thing. Um, but personally uh i i've had quite i've had quite positive experiences um you know i don't feel that it's ever hurt my opportunities and um i like to think that the reason why we're all fans is because of what we have in common not because of what's different and i like to think that you know we all most of us anyway um i think you know we'll probably get to this a bit later but i think most of us can look past the differences and go well this is what we've got in common in terms of how my my religious beliefs have affected my writing. Um, I made a very conscious decision when I first started that I didn't want to be a, a Christian writer. Like I mean, there's a big there's a big market, yeah. just like there is for Christian music, um, for Christian writing. Um, you know, there's people who have carved out a very big niche and that, and who probably, in terms of their their sales and their success, are comparable to most writers in the in in the mainstream. But um, I really just wanted to be a a writer and to write the best stuff I could, and um, to be a, a writer having to be a Christian. And I've always been very careful not to set myself up, try and set myself up as as some sort of example, because I mean I, I'm very open about what I believe and I'm always happy to talk about it, but I don't think I'm a particularly good Christian. I'm just a, a person who who makes mistakes and has flaws and all that sort of stuff, and I don't want to be trying to say, well, look at me because. You know, I'm just <laughs> just as as flawed as the an next person, and I'd hate for people to look at me and go, well, you know, if that's what religion's about, then I don't want it." So it's you know, I I just try and be who I am and and true to what I believe. And one of my rules is that I try not to say one thing in one circle of friends that I wouldn't say in another, because mm. um, you know, um, and I don't I don't write. I guess that for me. Um, and I had to get all biblical, but one Corinthians thirteen where it says these three things remain: uh, faith, hope, and love. And greatest of these is love. Well, to me, that really sums it up. And I think if you looked at my stories, the themes that run through it are the importance of of faith, hope, and love. In fact, my first ever published story was called "Greatest of These is Love," and um, you know, and as much as I try and apply that to my as themes in my writing, I guess that's the the themes by what I try and live by, and, you know, that seems to be, you know, I think that's a, that's not bad to aim for. As I said, I obviously fall short and um, a lot, but, you know, if you're aiming for something like that, I think you, whether you're religious or not, you can't go too wrong.
0: No, I think they're fairly broad, broad um, themes to have. I don't think anyone would accuse your, your fiction of being message fiction. Um
1: well, I, yeah, I, right. I don't think message fiction is bad in itself. I think that, you know, in in all fiction, you're trying to say something, and I want my stuff to say something. Um, I mean, the story I published last year was because I was so angry about some of the stuff going on with immigration. But I think um, message fiction that exists to beat people over the head with a message never works.
0: Yeah, I'm, I was just wondering. I'm, I'm wondering if what what we call message fiction is really just Badly implemented <laughs> fiction in some ways. Yeah, you're, you're, I think yeah. that's
1: probably a fair comment. Um, you know, we we write because um, we want to communicate with people, and the things that are important to us are going to come through, I think, in that communication.
0: Well, so we're talking about communities, um, and I sort of want to skirt around um, the issues, and and probably, yeah, not not specifically focus on them. Um, this year's seen the continued rise and impact of um, what appears to be overspill from culture wars, especially in the American scene. And I wanted to ask, uh, because I, I haven't observed you particularly um, getting into too many stouches, um, but how do you as an author navigate those sorts of discussions, um, particularly because you're also involved in the fan scene? Um so yeah, so how how do you walk that line personally?
1: Look, uh, I mean we're, I mean even though we're skirting around, we're obviously talking about a particular issue that's going on. But as long as I've been involved in the community, um, I guess I got the whole happened to have my two cents in every discussion out of my system when I was a bit younger. Um, I spent you know ten years on message boards arguing about everything that you possibly argue about, and a lot of time now when I see discussions online. I ask myself you know, a couple of questions. One is, do I actually have anything to say? And there are some discussions that I don't feel I've got any right to get involved in, um, whether it's because um, I'm not part of a particular demographic or, um, you know, I, I don't think I have a right to, to weigh in. I really should leave it to people who have more of a, or more of a, a, um, a stake in it. Um, other times I look at discussions and I go, well, is me weighing in going to change anything? And if the answer is no, well I'd rather expend my energy in other areas. But when I see something that I think is wrong or or mm-hmm. unjust, um I think that you have to get involved. If you you know, you can't go, was well, this is this gonna damage my my market, you know, or is this you can't talk like that. You've got to be able to live with yourself. But what I've tried to do rather than getting involved, I guess, in all these discussions is actually do things that I think are going to be be more effective in bringing about change. Like okay. when I've, you know, when I did the Aussie Snapshot, when I did the Wednesday Writers series of posts, which was a similar to paying for my passion, but it was a guest post. Tried to make sure that I do things like have gender parity um, uh, and diverse um, people, you know, posting. Um, I've offered to people you know, um, to use whatever small platform I have, to use that to signal boost people who perhaps don't have the advantages I do. I've offered people a safe place to post, you know, if they've you know, if if they feel that they might be threatened, if they post it on their blog, I'd be happy to host it and I've offered that to a number of people. And I don't say this out of desire to get a cookie. I mean I just see this as the bare minimum of being a decent human being is to where you can make a difference, try and make a difference and Try and everything you do treat people with dignity and respect, and I think those actions are probably more important than having a, an online argument with someone whose mind is not going to change. Yeah. Um, it's tough because you know um, I you know I look at some of the people who are arguing online at the moment, and there's people I know on both sides of, of particular debates, um, but. You know, another thing is that I try not to. You know, if anyone says to me, "Well, you can like me, but only if you don't like them." Well, that's not really a, a good choice to have to make. You know, so I, I try and I try and just treat everybody the way I want to get treated um, in everything I do, and and let let the the internet furor sort itself out. Um, I think, unfortunately, social media because of its the response times um, doesn't lend itself to reasoned discussion. I think that um, because often with Twitter especially you're trying to communicate complex thoughts at 142 characters or whatever it is. It's really difficult. Mm. Um, so I prefer to use my social media presence to signal boost people who I think deserve to be signal boosted and perhaps who because they're they're not in a position of privilege that I'm in um, who get minimized. Well, whatever platform I have, um, then I want to try and use it for them. Now, at the moment, I guess my platform is limited because I'm not even a mid author, but I hope that every little bit adds up.
0: No, and I think and I've noticed a, a few people that you've uh, uh, signal boosted. Um, so I think, you know, it's, yeah, like you say, every little bit uh, does help sort of to change tack a bit there. Uh, I did know that you were the... FANZ delegate to reconnaissance which is the or was the 36th New Zealand National Science Fiction Fantasy and Horror Convention earlier this year and um i think possibly in australia we tend to forget we do have a, another entire country sitting very close to us off the coast of uh, of sydney there um, what what did you bring back from that experience
1: well i mean awareness of of how vibrant the scene is in New Zealand. Um, In Australia, we tend just to steal people from New Zealand and adopt them as our own, but um, New New Zealand uh, has a really vibrant fan community. I was really impressed. Um, They were very welcoming, uh, you know, very involved. Um, I guess I was at the NatCon, so there was, you know, to be honest, from what I was told by people, I didn't expect as many people as as were there. Um, And I, I just really enjoyed meeting people who shared the same interests to me but maybe just had a slightly different take. Like, I think we've got more in common with New Zealanders than we do, for example, with Americans because um, mm. there's a lot of shared experiences, but there's also little minor differences that just made it interesting. So, yeah, I, I was just really impressed with, with um, you know, the community there. Um, I was also, I really enjoyed meeting the, the guests there. Um, Gail Carragher in particular, um, without being mercenary at all, she's probably got the best business brain of a writer I've ever met, like in terms of the business of writing. Um, and I was just I just soaked up the stuff that she was um she was talking about. She was one of one of those examples of where you meet an author and they impress you so much with their with their personality, their character that you want to go read their books where you might not have previously, so So it was great. Um, I thought there was some, you know, things that I would bring back. Um, I thought, you know, there's some things we do better with conventions, some things we don't do as well. Um, I was really impressed with the way that they, because Gail's a a steampunk type writer, um, they really pushed the steampunk angle and got other community groups involved where um people who may not have normally gone to the to the conventions but were involved with the steampunk society they really uh pushed to integrate that so there was people you know walking around in full steampunk gear who wouldn't have normally been there and weren't part of the the normal fan circles but all of a sudden became part of that community and that was really well done yeah and
0: no, i think that that opportunity probably exists here because i know um uh uh, my sister lives in Brisbane, and she she's told me on a n- number of occasions of steampunk exhibitions, just to focus on steampunk, um, it, t- entirely um, sort of separate from anything to do with fiction. So, um, you know, usually down at the local sort of market. So, yes, yeah, I think there's probably more definitely an opportunity to, to bring more groups in. <sighs> sort of moving into the last question, um, we both acted as Orealis judges uh, last year. Um, in fact, I only found out when, when I looked on on your on your bio um, because we were in different fields. And I wondered from from that brief experience uh, and that cross section of work, work um, what did you perceive, if any, was the direction of Australian science fiction, um, fantasy, and horror? Um, and what I'm sort of getting at there is are we maintaining a body of work that's sort of readily identifiable as Australian or do you think we're sort of moving on to a, like a world world fiction where it's a bit more of a, a homogenous?
1: <clears throat> the thing that I did the, the short story, uh, sorry, the anthology and collection categories, which meant I read a lot of short stories, and I think for me the biggest lesson is that small press is the beating heart of the Australian scene. Um, that if it's small presses where the, the really interesting stuff is happening, and when I say interesting, I don't mean the other stuff's boring, but in small press, people are taking more risks, and there's probably more Australianness in the in the stories appearing in small presses. Um, I think it would probably, some of the stories that are appearing in small press would be hard to sell overseas because they're so Australian. Mm-hmm. So it's great that there's that, there's that, um, opportunity for people to to hone their craft in small press. I mean, you look at the big names in Australia, you know, the ones who have made it really big overseas, they really cut their teeth in Australian small press. And the other thing is that the level of quality is comparable with anything else. I mean, you've only got to look at the award list coming out. I think um, a story from Kaleidoscope uh, from 12th Planet Press just won a locus award, and mm, um, yeah. even when I first came on the scene, I, I, one of the reasons why I was so keen to get published by Quarter Leon was that they had Sea um, Hearts was nominated for a World Fantasy Fantasy. What was it, Sea Hearts? Um, I think it was uh, in, the,
0: yeah, the novella. Uh, it was uh, in F six.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the quality level is just exceptional what we're producing in Australia, and um, I think that we're you know easily the quality is as good. It's just that the market's not as big here, um, that the opportun- there's probably not quite as many opportunities here. Uh, the other thing that I'm really proud of as an Australian is I think that if you look at um, gender issues in, in science fiction and fantasy and horror, mm-hmm. is that we're, we're light years ahead of other countries in terms of the amount of, of, of women writers in Australia, I mean, and the work they're producing. Um, if you ask my favourite, my favourite writers in Australia, they're all female, and I think it's, I think it says something for for that small pressing is that there's more opportunities for people who aren't from, you know those those demographics that have dominated specfic for for too long. Um, certainly, don't think that we're perfect, but when you look at the awards list and you look at that sort of stuff in Australia, I think we've got a lot. Of, we're on the right track.
0: No oh, i i tend to concur with you there i um yeah I can't actually find any point to disagree with you on um well so that come that's brought me to the end of my questions um I'd just like to say thank you for taking time out of your precious writing slash family time um on a sunday evening and um it's a pleasure to both interview you and um get an in depth uh, uh Look at your your um, your thoughts about writing, but also um, yeah, to uh, to get uh, get to have a great chat with a good friend. So yeah, thanks, David.
1: No, thanks, Sean. I think I probably speak for a big chunk of the community to say thank you for the work you do with getting the podcast coordinated and all the other stuff you're doing. So it's not really a, a struggle for me to take time to do this. It's been a a scary pleasure. <laughs>
0: Uh, it's all all a growing experience. Thanks again, David. Thanks.